Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and folks, on today's show, we have our interview with Reza Huda. Hey, Ron, how's it going? Good, Ed. My life ends today. I got my page proofs. Oh, the book, the book, the book. Time's Up, the yeah. soloofenterprise.com slash Time's Up. Yep. <laughs> So, for, that's our what, first plug for the book right in there. Get it done early. I know what I'll be doing for the next 10 days. So Okay, you're doing that. You're with book. With book. Uh, but let's bring Reza in and, and uh, get started and have a great conversation. And Reza, uh, Reza is a, uh, let's call it this way, a, a mentor coach uh, to firm, accounting firms uh, who want higher client, paying clients more and more and free time to run in a firm. And... Um, Reza, you help accountants transform their profits, their mindset, and their life. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm an avid listener, so it's uh, so, so glad to, to, to be here in person. Well, we're glad to have you and, and talk through uh, what you're doing, but let's, let's get the backstory. Uh, we were talking before we went live that you started out uh, with uh, PwC, is that correct? And, and, and made it all the way up to manager. Talk a little bit about that, that experience way back when. Okay, yeah. So I, I left university and I was at a bit of a, a crossroads because I did uh, international business and French at university. So I, I didn't really know I wanted to be an accountant, you know, as you do, as you're a, you know, a graduate, you kind of apply for everything possible, go to the job interviews. And I had two offers. I had an offer from PwC and I had an offer from Renault, the car company. And I knew if I carried on with Renault, I would join their graduate program. I get to live in France, continue with the language and keep on my French and all the rest of it. Or I go with PwC. And in the end of it, you know, PwC got the better of me. I thought, okay, well, I'll get a qualification. That's something I can fall back on. And if I want to then in three years time after I've got my chartered qualification, do something else, then I always can. So yeah, kind of the rest is history. I joined PwC. I was there for about uh, five and a half years, got up to manager in the tax department there. And then decided I didn't want to wait another 10 years to become partner, to have control of my own destiny, my own time and freedom. So I decided to to, to, to buy into a, a small uh, practice on the south coast of the UK. So talk a little bit about uh, why tax? Why did you end up in tax? Was that something that you wanted to do from the very beginning when you started? Or was that just that's where, where you kind of fell? Yeah, no, absolutely. That was absolutely by chance. In fact, the reason I applied for tax was because everybody else was applying for audit because they kind of glazed it up back in the day. It was, you know, it was it was assurance. It wasn't even called audit. It was called assurance and it was business advisory. So everybody was applying for audit. I thought it's going to be too hard to get into audit. So I'll apply for tax because that sounds quite boring. And I'm so glad I did because whilst I was working, you know, nine to five in the office, my audit colleagues were doing silly hours, traveling all up and down the country, which was a novelty for a couple of weeks, but soon wore off. Um, and then after three years, they all left and, and went elsewhere. So yeah, I just fell into it really. And uh, and kind of quite glad I did because I was working with entrepreneurs, private clients. So it was actually interesting stuff when I actually started to do uh, tax 
Max work as opposed to just analyzing timesheets and billing uh, for managers when I was a graduate uh, uh, employee and uh, then, then took that knowledge from big firm and was able, able to adapt it and provide value to the uh, business owners of the small firm that I now run. And how seasonal is is uh, taxation in the UK? I mean, we, we're in in the US, we, we are, it's a crazy time from the end of January through April fifteenth in in the states. Similar in the UK, or or is it a little bit different? Yes, yeah, so in the UK we have one personal tax deadline, which is the end of January. But uh, as as a general practice, we're involved in corporate tax and personal tax. For corporate tax, there is no one deadline. It's based on the financial year of the company, which can be any month of the year. And I was I was involved more in tax planning than as part of PwC, and I've kind of brought that mindset and uh, you know to to the to the clients I have now. So it's yes, there is a for our personal tax clients there is a bit of a rush at the end of January, but but it's not too bad if you can get the systems in place to to manage it. Um, it, can, it can be sort of managed pretty well. All right, and then you bought into a firm, and mm-hmm. did you keep your bad habits of timesheets and billing by the hour at the new firm, or or did you blow that up right away? No, absolutely, I did because that's all I knew. I came from PwC, right? So I, you know, all I know is billing by the hour. And and actually, the the crazy thing was that when I came into the firm, it was actually my my father-in-law's firm. So he was he was thinking of selling up, and then we got talking. And rather than me setting up solo, he was looking to retire anyway. So I said, okay, well, I'll buy in, um, and, and that's how kind of we got going. And actually, he the firm wasn't doing timesheets at the time. But I thought I was being forward thinking and dynamic. So as soon as I came in, I introduced timesheets <laughs> in the first year or so thinking, yes, that this is about, you know, forward thinking, dynamism, you know, it's big forward thinking coming into a small firm. So, uh, yeah, crazy, crazy times. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, for the first few years, you know, all about trading time for money. There was a few good things that I got from PwC, like systems and becoming paperless and things like that. But in, as far as, uh, you know, everything else goes, pricing, you know, we're still pricing by the hour and um, and doing timesheets and, and things didn't, weren't going so well for the first three, four, five years. It was only until I, when I actually came across Mark Wickersham, who I know, you know, very well, and Mark Wickersham has learned off you, I know, Ron, and uh, he introduced me to value pricing. And that was kind of the epiphany moment, the kind of light bulb that went off back in 2014. And then from that point onward, everything kind of transformed. And from sort of 2014, when we were kind of struggling, we weren't sort of making enough money, I had high staff turnover. Uh, everything started to change from then onwards. You know, we started to make profit, we started to make money. I then went on a journey of kind of learning from the best minds on the planet, read all the books, learned from people like Jody Thompson, read her book about work sucks. We introduced a similar version of the results only work environment. And yeah, from sort of 2014 to 2018, we had that transformation where I kind of got the firm to a position where it it can it runs without me. So now I still have the firm. I'm still involved in in aspects like sales and marketing, but it takes up less than five hours a week. And I spend most of my time now helping other accountants not to make the same mistakes that I did, not to waste time and money and doing the wrong things that I can kind of tell them. But through hindsight, through experience, look, yeah, don't don't do it my way. Do it this way because this is the way to do it uh, to save yourself the heartache. So so I'm going to take it back a little bit and ask you. So how did your father-in-law price? If he, didn't, uh, he, if, if he didn't do timesheets. He didn't do timesheets, no. <laughs> he was actually quite forward-thinking uh, himself, to be fair. Um, he, did have, he did have fixed fees, 
for some clients. And then he was, when he didn't know what to do, then he would, he would be billing by the hour. So it's kind of a mixture of, of fixed fees and billing by the hour. But certainly when I came on board, because I brought with me the tax planning expertise, all I knew was billing by the hour for the tax planning work. And that's what I did, um, which, you know, as we know, is, is a crazy thing to do and that I learned the hard way um, uh, through kind of, you know, the, the journey that I went on. Okay. Okay. So he was doing fixed price, but then he would sometimes do bill, bill by the hour stuff yeah. in different situations. So it, it wasn't that it was a time, it had no timesheets in the firm at all. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. Although he had, he, he didn't have timesheets. He had, he had fixed prices and um, yeah. And then, you know, he would just come up with whatever he thought kind of, you know, thing <laughs> thing he had type approach when it came to pricing like most of us do. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so then you decide that okay, I'm, uh, you, you've gotten it down to where you, your attention is only, as you said, a few hours a week to the accounting firm, and you want uh, to create, do some more coaching. So, what is 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 capture accounting versus the coaching and mentoring for accountants? Is that two different entities that you have? Yeah, that's right. So, I the the, the accounting firm that I run, the firm name is Walgie and Co. W A L G I. That's my father-in-law's name, kind of you know the traditional surname and Co. Established nineteen eighty-two, etc., etc. So, uh, that's the firm name. Capture Accounting is something that came about about a year and a half ago when I was I I said to my accountant audience, the ones that I coach and mentor, that I'm going to start a seven-month program teaching you how to win your business on autopilot. But rather than just teaching you, I'm going to do it with you. I'm going to create a new firm and everything that I do, I'm going to teach you and show you how to do and eat my own dog food, as it were. So if it backfired, it really would have been uh, the, the, the uh, expletive on my face. Um, so we started off with choosing a niche audience because it's all about, you know, I teach you, I've got to cho choose the who. You've got to start with who in terms of knowing who your audience is. So we did that. We chose content creators and, uh, and influencers. So it's a new niche, new specialism, decided to go after them, then came up with a messaging for them. Then we came up with a separate website, the logo, the lead magnets, the email marketing campaign, the lead generation exercise. And within sort of zero to nine months, we took that firm from zero to 100K in less than nine months. So as well as teaching accountants, I did it with them, kind of proved the concept of you know really doubling down niching down on your audience as a way to get kind of seen in the in the um in the sea of sameness that that's out there we've got to differentiate ourselves and the way to differentiate ourselves is to actually get clear on who you serve because if you can get clear on who you serve then you can get inside the minds of your prospects you can then create messaging that resonates with the problems the pain points that your prospects are suffering and that's how you get noticed uh, and when you can do that then you can win clients because that is the you know the one of the, the main challenge that i hear from accounting firm owners is how do we get new clients but then everyone is still kind of trying to appeal to everyone but when you appeal to everyone you actually appeal to no one the echoes of our, our uh, uh, various age fellow Tim Williams and in, in what you're mm. talking about there. Tim's done, done some great work in that. So that fir that firm Capture County then still exists and caters to the content creators. Is that that that's, that's correct? correct? Yes, okay. that's correct. It's kind of the fastest growing uh, segment of of our business at the moment. So we have a couple of niches. We had the property tax niche, which I created uh, a couple of years ago when I first came across the the whole marketing specializing thing, and then 
kind of did it again with uh, with capture accounting a year and a half ago, and that kind of continues to to grow and grow. And it's a you know it's a uh, it's it's a huge kind of untapped and um, lucrative market as you, you know, all the Instagrammers and whatnot with these young guy guys and girls in their twenties who are you know kind of building an audience, building a following, then monetizing that following. So clearly they they need an account or need someone who can be their finance partner, help look after their finances, make sense of it all because you know they just want to kind of palm it off to somebody uh, and need someone who understands what they do in their corner. All right. Well, Reza, this has been a great introduction. Ron's going to take the next segment. I just want to remind our listeners that they can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. Uh, we are sponsored by Melio, accounts payable solution that both you and your clients will love. Go to go.melio.com slash TSOE to get started for free. But right now, a word from our sponsors and Melio. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Accountants and bookkeepers, listen up. Save time by streamlining your customers' payables with Melio. Melio lets you make all your customers' business payments on one simple dashboard. There's no monthly fees, and you can send ACH transfers for free. Best of all, Melio syncs with your accounting software, so everything is organized. Do yourself and your customers a favor. Join Melio so you can spend less time on payments and more time growing your firm. Visit Melio.com accountants for more information. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Hey folks, Ed here. Ron is far too modest to tell you about his new book with Paul Dunn, so I'm just going to have to go ahead and do it. Scheduled to release on December 8th, Time's Up, the subscription business model for professional firms, is going to rock the world like the firm of the future did two decades ago. While you can't get the book until December, you can join the pre-order club by buying the book and sending us your receipt. Benefits start in August and will continue through February. For more details, visit thesoulofenterprise.com slash Time's Up. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You 
are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Reza Huda from the UK. And Reza, I wanted to ask you, I, I listened this morning to a conversation you had with Mark Wickersham, who's been on the show. And uh, you were talking about, he was asking you when you got rid of timesheets. And I think you said you bought the firm in 2008 from mm-hmm. your father-in-law. And and then you, you discovered Mark and then started value pricing like in 2014, 15. But you got rid of timesheets in 17 or 18. Tell us how that journey was in between when you started value pricing and to the time that you threw away the timesheets. <laughs> what was going on in your head? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, it, I think we have to take things in, in stages. So yeah, certainly when I came across Mark and I uh, learned about value pricing, I started to kind of apply what I was learning. And I had particular success with one-off projects. So particularly with tax planning projects where I could see and actually communicate the economic value of the solution of the end result to a client and then give them options based upon their risk profile to get a kind of a fixed fee for a, a tax planning exercise. It took me a while to adapt that into the recurring work that we do, uh, but eventually we got that going. And then after you know, so we were running, we were having, we had fixed fees, we were doing kind of value pricing and uh, every customer was priced a bit differently based upon, you know, what they valued. And yeah, they got to a point in 2018 where I kind of figured, well, you know, what are timesheets actually doing for us? And they're only, even though we have them, you know, we're, we're, we're trying, we're, and, and like you say, you're, you're, we're, 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 even though we've got fixed fees and then we're using the time to, to work out our profitability, which was kind of nonsensical, but it took me a while to get my head around that. And certainly it was because we were then moving towards a version of the results only work environment. So our people could work when, where, and how they wanted, as long as the work got done. So I didn't require my employees then to be in the office from nine to five anymore. Uh, time sheets just didn't make sense in uh, in that situation. So that was kind of the, the trigger that made me get rid of timesheets. And we haven't looked back since. So one of the, I'm going to check my experience with yours since you coach uh, firms now, when we coach firms, and we've been doing this a long time, one of the things that we ask them after they've gone through this process is, what would you have done differently? And besides saying all the normal, you know, wish I would have found this 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever, they all have said, I would have dumped the timesheets sooner, or I would have dumped the timesheets first. Because dumping the timesheets forces you to become a better pricer and look at other things that are more meaningful. And I just, Wanted to get your reaction to that. What do you tell your the the folks you coach about timesheets as they transition to value pricing? Because I'm firm on this. They need to go, and they need to go now, sooner rather than later. Mm. But I'm just curious on your take. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I I, I could agree more. Um, and there are there are those who say, oh, we don't use the timesheets for billing purposes, but we need it for profitability. Well, no, you don't need it for profitability because it's not giving you your profitability. You know, your your firm, as you say, only have they only have three types of costs. You've got your kind of your you know you've got your rent, you've got your people costs, and you've got your software costs. That's it. And no matter how much you kind of use them, they're still going to be the same costs. So you know, trying to work out profitability is nigh on impossible. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a case of it's it, 
it's uh, you know if if we assign the the worth of our people again to timesheets, uh, you know that's 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 crazy thing to do. And how does that make your people feel? Because it's not the it's not the minutes and the hours that you're getting from them. It's it's the end result. And no matter how you look at it, when you're using timesheets, you are attaching some notion to the fact that time matters when it doesn't. Time is a constraint. It it prevents you from doing certain things. And it um, you know if, if when you're looking at using timesheets, well, there is no incentive to kind of work smarter, or work harder. Uh, and like I said, the efficiency in your organization comes from how well you use the intellectual capital in your firm. So it's it's not about how long someone is spending on something, because as Parkinson's law says, that time will expand to the allocation given to it. So if someone is given a whole day to do something, if I, like for example, I'm writing my book at the moment, if I have a whole day to write two chapters, it will take me a whole day. But if I force myself to say, right, okay, well, I've got a meeting at 12 and I have to get it done before midday, I'll get it done before midday. It's just how we operate as human beings. So, you know, it's, it's that same sort of mindset that, um, you know, it, there, there is no, there's no efficiency, there's no uh, collaboration, there's no creativity when you are using the timesheet and getting rid of it has been kind of you know, uh, made a world of difference for us, that's for sure. And how about when you coach others? What, I mean, I would imagine you get some pushback from some people. No, we keep, do you, do you let them keep it? Do you just say those that you put on value pricing, don't do the timesheets on those, but do the timesheets on everything else as you make this transition? I mean, how do you handle that? Yeah, I guess, you know, that you, you can only advise and you can only counsel. And uh, at the end of the day, it's up to it's up to the individual. And, and sometimes it takes time for that kind of the penny to drop. And uh, for some, it takes longer than others. But eventually the realization happens that, yes, actually, it's um, it's meaningless, the, the data here. And uh, there's no point of I mean, there's nothing wrong with kind of planning forward. There was future planning. And that's actually something quite um, quite. I don't know, Ed, you talk about this in terms of, you know, project management. There's nothing wrong with saying and filling in your calendar on a, on a week by week basis to say, right, OK, well, this is my day and I'm going to spend, you know, two hours on this and four hours on that to confine myself, to give myself some constraints and to manage the capacity and to know that, you know, looking ahead in the week or two, we're going to meet all the deadlines that we have for our clients uh, across the firm. And that's okay. But actually trying to then, you know, put it on a timesheet and work out, you know, budget variance, all that kind of stuff and, and whether that, you know, generated profit or not, that's the crazy bit. Um, so it, it's just kind of, you know, uh, enforcing those those messages from time to time and, uh, and getting, getting them to realize that actually, Profitability uh, is is quite simple. You know, it's it, it's maximizing where you get in at the top end and minimizing your costs. And how do you do that? Well, you're maximizing your top line. It's all about getting clear on who you serve. Your positioning is really important. If you're trying to appeal to everyone, if then you you won't you won't differentiate yourself. If you don't differentiate yourself, you'll be seen as a commodity. When you're seen as a commodity, then clearly clients aren't going to be prepared to pay a premium from you because they think that what you're doing is the same as the accountant down the road. So you have to specialize. You have to you know decide to go down into the route of say working only with dentists or working only with doctors or working with content creators or or property uh, investors. Because as soon as you do that, the perceived value of what you do goes up. You're suddenly now seen as a specialist. When you're seen as a specialist, you can charge a premium. When you charge a premium, then then when you get into the top line, it's higher. Your internal kind of how the how you utilize your people, your fixed cost. Essentially, your people can do more because now they're they're doing familiar things with the same clients. So you become a lot more efficient. You have better systems. 
and they're no longer having to to research and figure out you know the accounting or bookkeeping or tax laws for you know 32 different industries you've only got the one or two industries to deal with and that's how you develop that efficiency which means that you can you can manage more your capacity is greater with the same number of people and then ultimately what happens the profit then is greater at the bottom so that's how you generate the profitability we just got to go back to simple simple uh, simple accounting you know profit uh, revenue less cost equals equals profit and, and firms that make the transition to value pricing seem to eventually figure that out, but it takes a while mm. for them to really realize, hey, we've got to focus more, we've got to niche down. Uh, because I think what people miss with pricing is everybody wants to jump to the pricing, but it's the strategy and the positioning that dictate the pricing. It's not the other way around. You can't figure out your pricing until you give me your strategy and your positioning. Are you, are you going to be McDonald's, a steakhouse, or vegan? I mean, what's your mm -hmm. positioning? Without that, you know nothing about pricing. Absolutely. No, that's, um, that, that's really key. And um, I, I've kind of come up with a, a four-pillar framework that I coach accountants through. So, and they will start with P, they're pricing, positioning, process, and people. So these are kind of my four pillars that I believe you need to build a more profitable, successful, and impactful accounting firm. And I kind of look back over the last 13 years to say, what did I do uh, to get my firm to run without me and to, you know, to be to be very profitable? And, uh, you know, it was basically everything fell under one of those four pillars. I got my positioning right, and then that led on to the, getting the pricing right, which was taking a share of the value we were creating, which was greater because we were now positioned very clearly our messaging was clear our audience was clear and they're kind of the external pillars and then once you've got that right then internally you know having the right processes and systems which you know most accountants are quite good at the process and system side of things uh, but then also you know how do you how do you attract the best talent how do you retain your uh, your high performers how do you maximize everyone's potential so going on a journey uh, that i did of you know learning about leadership of how to treat people how to create that culture which you know um harnesses everyone's uh, internal gifts and geniuses and uh, i've learned a lot from patrick lencioni who's written some amazing books uh, and his model the working genius you know we've kind of adapted that that you know everybody's different and it's all about getting to know that individual and getting the right people on the bus and then getting the right people on the right seats uh, and actually figuring out what are people's geniuses where do they flourish and putting you know giving them more of that work so you know they because every, everyone is um, is internally motivated and i think most uh, you know, most, uh, a lot of business owners, they, they think that to uh, motivate their knowledge workers, they need to throw more money at them. But it's, it, it's the worst thing you can do. You know, throwing more money at knowledge worker isn't going to get them to work harder. Knowledge workers are intrinsically motivated. You've got to give them what gives them that intrinsic motivation. It's actually doing something where they are working in their genius, where they are in their zone of genius. They're getting better at a skill set that they have. They're able to utilize the skill sets that they have and their expertise to be able to, to add value to, to the organization, to the clients that they work with. And that's how you get the best out of people. So kind of understanding that, building a culture around that, around common values, that is how you can truly kind of build an accounting firm or, or any business, business really that, um, that can kind of stand its own feet and can can operate independent of its owner, which you know most accounting firm owners are, are remain the technicians. They remain kind of control freaks. They don't want to delegate. They don't want to let go. They don't have the systems, you know. And then therefore, then they complain about they're working too hard and uh, life is crazy and stressful. <laughs> well, I applaud you for doing a row. You're one of the few accounting firms in the world that's that's actually done it. Um, so that's wonderful. So let me ask you this: We've only got about a minute, but. Since you don't do timesheets and you do have a row, a results-only work environment, 
What kind of KPIs do you track at the team member level? Yeah, interesting uh, question. I'm not sure we can answer it in a minute, but I've kind of been on a journey where we used to have individual metrics for employees. So everyone had a billing target at least and um, uh, you know de deadline targets for uh, their, their portfolio of clients. But we found that having individual targets led to people working in silos. And because the nature of what we do, there's not just one person working on one client at any point in time. It's sometimes it's a, it's you know there's a team of people. There's two or three people that might contribute to looking after one particular client. So we've actually reverted back to having um, you know team-wide uh, KPIs and mm. everyone being aware of the of the team targets and the team kind of billing targets and and that sort of thing and getting people involved in decision making. And we find that actually that works better. And certainly the Although we, we can't say it's a results-only work environment because that's trademarked, but uh, something like I've come up with another one called Worm, where where only results matter. So Worm is I'm free to use. <laughs> Jody won't come down my back for me to use that one. Um, Love it. Where you know where because in that environment you have to you know your you you have to kind of. Um, help out your colleagues because you know you want to take more time off then you, someone's got to be there to handle your portfolio when you're gone and vice versa so it just it just engenders that kind of uh, team and work ethic between each other helping each other out uh, and that has become one of our core values which uh, which makes it uh, makes it work yeah that's wonderful more collaboration i mean I, I don't know if you've read no rules rule by reed hasting but okay. uh netflix does not have individual kpis yeah and that just when you tell accountants that it blows them away because we're so used to tracking everything at the individual level, you know, down to revenue for crying out loud. Can't imagine Netflix allocates their revenue per employee. But anyway, Reza, this has been great. I'd like to remind you folks, if you want to get a hold of me or Ed, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Check out our Patreon uh, site that you can become a member at uh, patreon.com slash TSOE at a particular tier you will get a shout out like Mark Gandy did. Mark Gandy uh, hosts CFObookshelf.com. And if you love books and you like to read, uh, you got to listen to this show. It's wonderful. He always has great, uh, great authors on. I really enjoy the show. And also our Patreon channel is now sponsored by Mind 90 Minds. Uh, it's a matter of mind. Check them out at 90minds.com. And now a word from our sponsors. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. 
Go to patreon.com slash TSOE. Subscribe now and be free. You're worth it. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise and before we continue our conversation with rez i just want to remind you that ron does have a new book coming out called time's up forward by Blake Oliver. You can check that book out and join the pre-order club at thesoulofenterprise.com slash time's up. Reza, I wanted to ask you a little bit as you are working with younger accountants, is there still resistance to some of these ideas? And if so, what what are the big points of resistance that you still encounter? Yeah, interesting question. Absolutely, there are there there is I guess some level of resistance, maybe not as much as as Ron has encountered in the past, um, but the the resistance to certainly what we were talking about earlier, the, the positioning resistance that um, that is a big one that many small firm owners are, are trying to grow, trying to expand, and particularly in their day and age now, where a lot of um, you know, a lot of how people search buyer behavior has changed, how people find their accountant has changed. A lot of things have moved online. And accountants are saying, you know, how do we win new clients? Because they can't, can no longer, you know, rely on referrals, which they used to for so long. But they're hesitant to move away from being that generalist. They still think that they need to keep the doors open to everyone. And they feel, when I tell them, you need to really niche down and specialize into one particular sector, they feel afraid that we might close the door on potential business. But actually, the reality is that you open the door to much better, more lucrative business than trying to keep your doors open to everyone because what what would you rather be would you rather be something to everyone or everything to someone Mm -hmm. i know what i'd rather be and when you're everything to someone that's when you get noticed and that's when it becomes much easier for you to find the clients that you want to really add that value because a lot of these kind of you know these younger accountants they're they're you know they're in with the software so they're doing the right things you know they're they're very techy they've embraced the cloud revolution and you know they know how they're operates they're they're really, you know you know they're, they're embracing the fact that yes they can they can kind of come in and they can manage your full finance function but what they're lacking is just that extra bit of positioning themselves to the right audience and then getting a greater share of the value they create uh, and actually they're giving away what the value they're creating for, for very little. And that's when they're suffering. They feel they have to take on many clients and they're not pricing right, which means that they, you know, then ultimately service suffers and they can't get the right people. They have a high staff turnover because their people get uh, burned out as well. Uh, and, you know, it just it just plateaus there and stagnates their, their growth ultimately. What are some of the things that you help uh, you or tools that you might use to help people decide what uh, niche markets they want to get into? Yeah, so what I would do is to ask farmers to say, well, you know, who, who do you enjoy working with? Have a look in your client base. You've got to, if you're going to choose a niche, you've got to enjoy working with these people for a start. So which is the particular segment in your in your client base that uh, gives you that joy that, you know, you love to hear from them, you're, you're, you enjoy the conversations with them, you get value from their conversation, they get value from you, you know, find someone that you enjoy working with. Secondly, it's got to be, you know, a segment, a specialism, an area where, 
they have the means to be able to pay you well. So you know, they've got to be profitable at some point. They've got to be able to uh, pay you the fees as they scale. So you know, it, it, there's no point having in in this country we have you know subcontractors say you know you do do a specific tax return for a subcontractor whose income will never go over say thirty forty thousand pounds. Now, if you do specialize in them, then clearly your fees are never going to be over you know, 500 to 1,000 pounds a year. So you want to go into a, an, a, an industry which has the potential to pay you the greater fees because they will scale their business ultimately. And um, uh, yeah, so, so I normally say profit, passion and value. So you've got to be able to, be able to deliver value as well. So is it, is it a particular area that you have an interest in? Maybe um you know maybe you have a, a hobby that's linked to that particular area maybe you have a family member that you have familiarity in that particular industry sector so certainly when we chose so we have two niches we have the property tax niche and we have the content creators which is the latter niche that we created and i went into the property tax niche because i myself i was investing in property i was getting to know that sector so i could talk on the same wavelength with you know uh, realtors as you would say or, or property tax uh, ta uh, property investors or property developers here because I understood the jargon. And when you do that, then, you know, you, you carve out specialism, you get on their wavelength. People feel like you understand them. When people feel like you understand them, that's when they feel they're getting value from you rather than, you know, talking to a generalist who would have to say to you, oh, no, I'll come back to you or, you know, I need to think about that. So automatically, um, you know, you get perceived as a specialist. Uh, and certainly when we moved to content creators, you know, I was embarking on my journey of coaching and mentoring accountants, so doing the marketing, doing the videos, I was a content creator myself. So I kind of understood that part of things with them. I could speak on their wavelength. I understood YouTube, I understood algorithms and all this kind of thing and how to create videos and repurposing and, and all that kind of good stuff. So I understood the, the, uh, the, the industry sector, uh, I could provide value and I knew it was a sector where these clients would be profitable because I knew how much money these guys were making. Uh, we, and often I get the, the objection that, oh, we don't have, you know, we don't have so many clients in a particular area to specialize. When we started that content creator niche, we had one, <laughs> one client in that niche, but we'd worked with him for 18 months. And it was a journey where, you know, we had to research a lot of things to figure things out, you know, setting up his books in the right way. There were lots of different uh, sales tax quirks because he was getting income from all over the world. You know, YouTube sends money from Ireland, from America. And, you know, there's a lot of different things that we had to, to grapple with. But the fact that we've done it for one client, worked with him deeply, is that now when we come across others, we've got the know-how, you know, we've got that knowledge. And suddenly it becomes much easier now to deal with the others and we can add a lot more value because we've been through the hard work of getting to know them. But you don't need to have many clients in a niche in a niche to actually specialize in that niche. As long as you have one and you work with them to some extent and you work with them on a deep, you know, and what I say is go narrow and go deep. There's no point going wide and shallow. You want to go narrow and you want to go deep into one particular area because when you do that and that's really when the value comes out. Do you think it has to be industry or can it be something that's almost more psychographic in nature? Like I, I, I actually worked with a firm that, that they, he specialized in people who, who liked the beach. Now, this sounds crazy, but he, 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 all of his websites were focused on do, if you want to spend more time at the beach, I'm your, I'm your guy. Right. Wow. So, so have you worked with anybody who's, who's, who's done some like psychographic as opposed to industry specific stuff? Yeah, I say there are there are three ways you can niche. You can niche by industry, you can niche by uh, life cycle, or you can niche by activity. 
So mm-hmm. life cycle is when you decide to niche by, say, startups, or you mm-hmm. niche by those looking to an exit, and they they require specific you know skill sets. Uh, or activity is when you know you 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 niche by certain activities. So you niche by either bookkeeping or doing, you know, we have um, uh, R and D, research and development claims, or estate planning, or something like that. Very specific activity. But the more speci- the more laser focused you can get on who you serve and how you serve them, the easier it will be to find the clients that you want. So yeah, absolutely, you could you could uh, niche by the other two football but- fans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But if you could get football fans of you know, a particular team in a particular industry, that would be much better for you. Than, uh, <laughs> well, neat. Um, so uh, you got rid of the timesheets. When you price or when you coach on pricing, are you oftentimes uh, suggesting that people do look at choices? Is that something that you look at as well, offering choice? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's kind of one of the one of the fundamentals of uh, of pricing. Giving people options and choices is critical in finding out their value preferences. Because you know, as um, as you've said many a times, that prices don't come from costs. Pricing is simply taking a share of the value that you are creating. But value is subjective. Now, to figure out what value is, value is about you know what is the maximum willingness of of a buyer to pay a certain amount. How do we find that out? Well, we give options and choices. Uh, and that's how the likes of, you know, Apple do it or Netflix do it. You do get options and choices. So for those people who want the all singing, all dancing, the bells and whistles, then they have the option and choice to go for it. If you never present those options to a client of working with you in the best way possible, then they'll never be able to pay you that much because you never offered it. So that is critical. Options and choices are critical. Um, in fact, I have kind of four fundamentals of pricing. The first is price comes from value. The second is the prestige phenomenon. So when something is expensive, we automatically associate the notion of quality to it. So just by the mere fact of being more expensive, we automatically think you're going to be better quality than if you are cheap, then you know that says something about you. It's like you search for a phone case on Amazon. If something is too cheap, you're like, mm, I don't think I'm going to go for that one because it might not, you know, it might not do its job after a couple of months and I'll have to buy a new one. So prestige phenomenon. The other one is the the contrast principle. So yeah, and you're, you know, I'm sure one one is very familiar with these. Uh, the contrast principle of of having a comparison because we have no idea whether a price is reasonable in and of itself. We look for comparisons to work out in our minds whether that price is reasonable or not. So we need to be as buyers, as sellers, to give that contrast to our prospects. And then there is context, the power of context. How and where something is sold makes a difference in how much someone is willing to pay some, how much someone is willing to pay for said good or service. So for example, a bottle of Coke in a supermarket, you know, you get it for 50 pence or a dollar or a pound. You know, you, that same bottle of Coke in a cafe is 50% greater. That same bottle of Coke in a, in a high-end hotel is now three times the price, but buyers are still willing to pay for it. Why? Because of the power of context. And if we can understand those four fundamentals in our pricing, then we can get higher prices for, for what we do. Yeah, it's not that you can't afford my price or that it's too high, it's that you can't afford me, right? It's like my, <laughs> my price. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the way to look at that. Well, we thanks, Reza. We are up against our break, and Ron's going to take you the rest of the way home in this episode. But I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Uh, want to remind p- folks that they can contact Ron or me by sending that email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website, The Soul of Enterprise. So, show notes, previews to upcoming shows. We are, of course, sponsored by my employer, Sage. So let's hear from them at our next break. Follow. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! Hey folks, Ed here. Ron is far too modest to tell you about his new book with Paul Dunn, so I'm just going to have to go ahead and do it. Scheduled to release on December 8th, Time's Up, the subscription business model for professional firms, is going to rock the world like the firm of the future did two decades ago. While you can't get the book until December, you can join the pre-order club by buying the book and sending us your receipt. Benefits start in August and will continue through February. For more details, visit thesoulofenterprise.com slash Time's Up. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Re- Re- Reza Huda. And Reza, I wanted to ask you, we, we were talking about subscription during one of the breaks. And I know you started experimenting or doing this in your firm, and you're probably also uh, mentoring people or coaching people about it. So tell me how you explain subscription. Mm, absolutely. So, yeah, it's it essentially comes from the, the fundamentals of pricing because um, I was uh, banging the drum about price comes from from value and what is value the value that we provide is not the it's not the minutes and the hours that we are spending cranking out that tax return or the accounts for the client the value we provide is the is the peace of mind that we give a client the fact that they're a client of ours the fact that they can call us when they have a problem that is value. The fact that we are their agents with the tax authorities, with the IRS, with HMRC, that we we handle their affairs on their behalf so they don't have to sit on hold for hours or get you know pushed from pillar to post from different agents of the tax authorities, that is value. The stress we take away, you know, the, the risk that we take away, but the fact that we are, you know, we know what we are doing and when we submit things, it's by and large gonna be gonna be correct and uh, maximize their tax position. That is value. So that's kind of the starting point, really, that uh, we need to we need to capture that value in the form of a monthly subscription. Because even though you're not doing anything for a client, 
you are still giving them value by them having access to you. That access to you is value. And therefore, you need to be charging them on a monthly basis for them having access to you as their accountant. That is kind of the starting point. So that's how we get into the conversation. Then in terms of how we do we work out what that what that amount is, we need to go through a process of figuring out, okay, well, where is where is the value for this particular client? How can we take them through a process of figuring out what are we doing for them? You know, what is the risk to us? What is the risk to them? How can we kind of come up with some kind of model that helps us to work out a monthly subscription for this particular client? So for our recurring fees, we use a software-based approach. So we have a software that helps us to do this. And I think it's similar to what you've talked about in the past, kind of, you know, you've you've used the insurance analogy, but you try not to overuse it. So it's in a similar way that we we work out kind of, you know, we take the client through some questions in terms of what we are doing them. We uh, we go through kind of the risk to us, the, the, the what, um, uh, you know, what the size of their business, the turnover of their business, the number of transactions, how they want to work with us, whether they work with a senior, whether work with a junior, you know, how much, um, uh, you know, how much access do they want to us? And that then gives them a monthly subscription. And that will change depending on whether their their business size changes or not, they take on extra employees or whatever the case may be, that will, that will change as certain variables in their business change. But the, the thing that I believe makes it subscription is the fact that they have unlimited access to us. So unlimited email and telephone support. They can call us whenever and however much they like, and there's no extra charge. Because if we recall ourselves, the client's trusted advisor, then we should not be putting our clients off calling us for fear of their, of them getting a surprise bill from us. So I believe that including that in every client's package makes it subscription because there is no additional charge for getting in touch with us. But through that, it means that because they are calling us when they have a problem, we can then spot opportunities for one-off projects. So I have a separate approach that I use for identifying opportunities that are outside the scope of recurring services. So as an accounting firm, we have recurring and non-recurring. The recurring stuff we build on a monthly subscription. And then if there are any opportunities to do a tax planning project for a particular client, we spot that opportunity because we are talking to them with, you know, we are open to them. And if there's an opportunity, we take that out and we price that separately. And I give them a three option approach for pricing tax planning work. So that's kind of in a nutshell, uh, how we, uh, how we currently price. So everything you just mentioned, how's that different from value pricing? Uh, I'm not sure it is different. I, the thing is, I, you know, value pricing, I know, I don't know who's coined the term, but actually, you know, it's, I know we, we consider it a noun, but isn't it that just how we price, you know, price just comes from value. So I know you've coined it value pricing 1.0 and 2.0, but in my mind, it's, you know, pricing comes from value, right? And that's what we're looking to take a share of. We're looking to take a share of the value we're creating. And we have two models where we're taking a share of the value that we are creating for our clients on a, on a recurring basis. And then for certain projects that we can identify where there is a specific result, which has a specific time frame, a project we had to start on an end date, and we can identify that and take that out and build that and start it and finish it, get the result and take a share of that value. That's how I believe that you know accountants can get the kind of the optimum uh, pricing in terms of everything that they do under their roof. So you don't see it kind of like we've been talking about here about like with the direct primary care physicians or the concierge doctors, 
and these are general physicians, but you subscribe to them and then they handle anything that they're capable of doing, which is the constraint. Everybody thinks, oh, geez, that means I have to do open heart surgery and cure cancer. No, no, they don't do that. They'd refer you out, but they would cover anything that you needed. That, that's not how you see this playing out in the long run. Yeah, so the, the I guess the slight difference there is, is that we needed a system to be able to uh, have different prices for different customers depending on where they are on the journey. So if I give you an example, our new niche of content creators and influencers, we might take on somebody at the start of their journey who might have, say, 50,000 subscribers on the YouTube channel, maybe earning $10,000 a month. And on the other end, we've got someone with a million or two million subscribers, and they're earning $100,000 or 100,000 pounds a month. We need a model that caters for a different price for the entry-level guy and the guy at a million, a million subscribers. So that's what this model allows us to do, is to kind of have that kind of risk, have certain parameters and certain variables that will adapt to allow us to scale as our customers, as our, as our client scales, and to, to kind of you know make it almost, um, uh, yeah, make it very bespoke and very make it very specific to where the client is at. Because if we only had one price for everything, then you know we, we would kind of be quite difficult to get um, anyone at the at, at the ends of, of the spectrum, and uh, it'd be quite a narrow audience would be would be attracted. You could still have options, though, and you could base it on their life cycle, where they are. Oh, that's that's cycle. exactly what we have. So we we have kind of a risk profile, and say, well, you know, if you're a hundred thousand turnover, then this is your your all in fee. You're all in fee for us doing everything for you that you require. You as as a startup, you require us to do your accounts, to do your taxes, to do your VAT, to do your payroll. So certain things like payroll will change based on numbers because you could have somebody who might have you know a, a low turnover but might have you know 10 employees on the payroll and somebody with high high turnover but only have a couple of people on the payroll so some of those individual services would vary based upon variables which are pertinent and relative to that particular service so it allows us to specifically scale in between what we do and also on a macro level in terms of how they scale so with this model, uh, you know, we have several questions that allow us to to capture, I believe, you know, the value in 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 as in as much as kind of humanly possible with uh, with with also allowing me to delegate that pricing to my team, because prior to that, that was my big but big kind of bottleneck. That even though I had handed over the technical side of things, the sales and the marketing and the pricing still uh, landed with me because I understood value pricing. And it's hard, you know, it took me five years to learn value pricing. It's hard to teach my team value pricing. They're so busy doing the work. So having kind of a system which I can work and I can adapt and, you know, you know build into a model that I can then give it to them to use is great. Because, you know, through that model, I believe we can capture the great share of value that we create. Fantastic. Well, Reza, this has been great. Thank you so much for appearing on the Solo of Enterprise. We'll have to have you back. Is it true you're working on a book? Real fast. Uh, I am indeed. Yes. Yes. Excellent. Uh, hopefully you uh, are. Yeah, probably not before yours, but uh, hopefully beginning of next year. Okay, great. Well, maybe we'll have you back to chat about that. So thanks very much, Ed. What do we have next week? Next week, Ron, we are talking to our sponsor, Emilio's Brent Harrelson. All right. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy. 
Sponsored by Sage. Building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. Join us next week on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern in the States, noon Pacific. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us on the web at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network.